That's a great selection of songs. You know, sometimes it's good just to just to sit down and realize what we have in Christ, who we are in Christ, how good God is to us. You know, uh, it's like when when Chris and I moved into our, our house and we finally, you know, pretty much got most everything unpacked. And I remember one one evening just sitting down in a chair and going, whew, a house, you know, this is good, this is good, you know, and just, just sat there and, and just savored it, you know, and we need, we need to do that from time to time, you know, sometimes it's just good to enjoy our position, our position in the Lord, and that's kind of what this uh, sermon today is about, our our text is Psalm 87, and um, you know, before I start that, Chris and I lived in Kalispell, Montana, for, for about nine years. And one of the things we really enjoyed doing when we were there is is going to uh, Glacier National Park and Bob Marshall Wilderness Area. We did a lot of hiking. I was I was teaching in a college and had the summers off, and you know we. Sometimes in the summers we'd go out every day and find a new place to, to hike. But uh, Glacier National Park, I, I'm sure many of you have been there. You know, it's, it's a beautiful place. And according to the fact sheet online, it said that, uh, you know, it's over a million acres in size with over 175 named mountains, 762 lakes, 563 streams, and over 200 named waterfalls. 25 named glaciers and over 745 miles of uh, maintained hiking trails. And uh, Chris and I have been on many of those trails, not all of them. I don't know how many of the uh, 745 miles we've covered, but a lot of it. But it seems like there's just a few trails that are really popular. You know, they're the, they're the ones that are easy to get to, very accessible and you know, people people drive from other parts of the country. They they park in the parking lot, and you know, really, it's just like a handful of trails that most people who visit the park hike. But there's so much more, and I think uh, the ones I liked the best were the ones where Chris and I would maybe go out and hike all day long and not see anybody. <laughs> and there are such places, uh, many of them. That's kind of how. That's kind of how this psalm is. Uh, you know, some some of the psalms are are like those those trails that are very popular. You know, we, we we've covered a couple of them. Psalm one, Psalm one thirty nine, of course, Psalm twenty three. You know, they're they're awesome, wonderful psalms. And uh, you know, I would I would not say anything. I would not say you know don't don't visit those psalms. They're too popular. Yes, visit those psalms. They're they're awesome. Very well loved, very well traversed. We don't want to miss them. But the psalm we're going to go through today is is like one of those uh, ones that are one of those trails that are least visited. Psalm eighty-seven. And while you're turning to it, uh, I just want to relay a story from uh, Dr. Ron Allen. He's he's uh, one of the professors at, at DTS, and he talked about when he was a pastor, and he one Sunday he preached on this psalm, and he had a gentleman in the uh, in the congregation read. The, the scripture, he was in a small town in uh, Oregon, and he said that uh, 
this guy, he, he watched this guy walk up to the platform in polished, highly tooled leather boots. I saw the western cut of his shirt, the sport coat, saw his Marlboro man visage, and I feared the worst. He says, I know that the soul of the, poem, the soul of the poet may be found in even the most rugged of men, but the situation did not look good. I realized too late that I should have requested that another passage be read as the morning scripture rather than this difficult psalm. But there he was. He looked down at me and then down at his Bible. And he said something like this. Howdy, folks. I read over this psalm twice last night and it didn't mean a thing then. I read it this morning and it still don't mean a thing. Well, you listen and see, he said. Then he read the psalm and he looked out at me and then to the congregation and said, see what I mean? It still don't mean a thing. And then he went and sat down. Well, I think this is the kind of reaction many people have to this psalm. You know, as we as we read through the Psalms, some of them are, are you know, they, they seem inaccessible. But once we once we see what's going on and 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 explore them, we, we find out that they are this like this psalm are, are some of the most beautiful psalms in in the book. You know, like hiking one of those less uh, traveled trails in Glacier National Park. This this is a psalm that's very well worth exploring. Very beautiful psalm, really. Read with me. Psalm 87. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Psalm 87. <clears throat> His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than any other dwelling place, more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. But of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will count when he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Those who sing as well as those who play the flute shall say, all my springs of joy are in you. Let's pray. Um, Lord, as we uh, open up your word, I I pray that you open up our hearts. Lord, that we would uh, just be able to sit back and enjoy what you've given us, the position you've put us in as, as your children, what great manner of love you've, you've shed on us, Lord, that we would be called uh, the, the sons and daughters of God. Well, anyway, what do you think of that psalm? Uh, makes perfect sense, right? I think you're going to appreciate this psalm and you're going to grow to love it in, in the next half hour. This, this is a psalm about how God loves his people, about how he loves to bring new people into his fold. This, this psalm is one of those great psalms that is really a, a psalm of, of mission. It's about world missions. It was written by the sons of Korah, as, as is indicated in the heading. You know, the sons of Korah were the 
descendants of Korah, of course. He was the great-grandson of Levi. And Korah was part of a rebellion against Moses. He was, he was one of those who was uh, swallowed up by the earth in this rebellion. But his descendants lived on to uh, write uh, 11 of the Psalms. And you probably recognize some of the really memorable verses for, from some of these Psalms of, of Korah, sons of Korah. For instance, uh, Psalm 42.1 has this beautiful line, as the deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. Yeah, you just see this desire for, for God, this, this longing, this thirst for God. Psalm 84.1 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. We just sang that. My soul longs yet faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Psalm 46.1 conveys the the powerful message, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You know, these guys, these, these descendants of Korah, the sons of Korah, they loved their Lord. Their hearts were for for God. Uh, They had a hunger and a thirst and just a burning desire to draw near to to God. Well, this psalm, Psalm 87, is organized into uh, three sections. And at the end of the first two uh, appears the word Selah, Selah. You know, and it's a, most likely a musical term, it indicates that there's a pause. And as we read through the Psalms, when we, when we run into that word Selah, you know, for me, it tells me, you know what? I just need to take a pause, reflect on what I've, I've just read before, before moving on, meditate on this, drink it in. Yeah, before... Moving on, we just need to just appreciate where we're at, where we've been. Well, as we go through this psalm, I'd like to point out three things. You know, first, that God loves his people. Second, he loves to add more. He loves to add to his people. And and third, that uh, his people find their life and their joy in him. So God loves his people. The first thing we see in verse 1 is how God has set his foundation in the holy mountains. You know, he's, he's established a, a holy city there, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, sometimes called Zion. You know, what do we think when we think of a foundation? We think of something that's unmovable. You know, it's, it's unshakable, it's, it's permanent. You know, something that will last a, a very long time. If you've ever built something on a faulty foundation, you know that it's important to have a foundation. But think back to Abraham. Abraham, you know, he he started out as a nomad, did he not? You remember how God told him to to leave his home, leave your house, and go to a place that I'm going to show you asking him to step out in faith. And, you know, through the uh, the Abraham 
narrative, we, we read many times of Abraham pitching his tent, moving his tent, sitting in front of his tent. He was a tent dweller. moving around all the time. Well, the the writer of Hebrews talks about Abraham longing for an unmovable city of of God. Hebrews 8, or excuse me, 11, 8 through 10 says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. This this psalm is an allusion to that. You know, Abraham had this, this hope knowing that God one day for his people would would bring about this this permanent place. Uh, In the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verses 20 through 24, the writer likens Zion, Jerusalem, with heaven. You know, God's dwelling place. This this brings an eschatological tone to this this psalm. Uh, Looking ahead, listen to this. Hebrews twelve twenty two. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Keep that passage in mind as we go through this psalm. You know, the, the, the adjective heavenly is, is attached to Jerusalem here. You know, the, the author has in mind the, the Zion and Jerusalem that are, that are not of this creation, the heavenly Jerusalem, God's true dwelling place, the place where he meets his new covenant people in the heavenly realm. And this is the heavenly city of Hebrews eleven sixteen, and the city which is to come in Hebrews thirteen fourteen. The second verse of this psalm says this, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. And we see in this statement, there's, we see three things that, God's, that God loves. You know, first, he loves the dwelling places of Jacob. You know, he's, he's talking about the, uh, the people of Jacob, the people of Israel who are located all over Israel, the, the, the promised land. It says he loves the gates of Zion more, but he loves the various places in Israel where his people live. Second, it's, it's implied, but God loves Zion. He loves this city, Jerusalem, the city of God. You know, this is, in the Old Testament, when, when, when Jerusalem is referred to as Zion, it's, it's a term of affection, for example, the, the term daughter of Zion refers to his people, the, the Israelites. It's a metaphor for Israel and, you know, the, the loving, caring, caring uh, patient relationship that, that he, God has with his, with his chosen people. You know, Jerusalem was where David set up his earthly kingdom, you know, the center of his, the, you know, the capital of his kingdom. It's where David's son Solomon built the temple. 
you know, the, the, the place where God's presence was manifest, where people went and met with God and offered sacrifices, the place where people would come to worship him. Well, third and most importantly here, it says that God loves the gates of Zion. This is what he loves the most, the gates of Zion. So the, you know, the, the, the surprising thing here is that God says he loves the gates of Zion, the gates of Jerusalem, even more than he loves the temple. That, that's surprising. Why is this, though? What is it about the gates? You know, we, we can come up with some ideas on what, what the gates are. You know, uh, that's, this is a place where, where the elders sit where they exercise judgment and make decisions. You know, it, it involves jurisprudence, you know, where, where God's rule and God's justice is exercised. That's one thing, okay? Here's something else. Uh, gates in ancient cities were the places within the walls that were most heavily guarded. You know, they, they were the, 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 the gates. These were the, uh, the weak points in the walls, you know, when an invading army is going to attack, they're going to attack through the gate. So gates can be used to keep people out. What is it that God loves about the gates? Why does God love the gates so much? It's because this is where people come and go. This is the entrance to the city. This is where people come into the city of God. So it's not, much, not so much that he loves the gates because they keep people out, but because they let people in. You know, this, this made it possible for people to come in and, and worship God. You know, God loves the gates because he's seeking worshipers, true worshipers. What did Jesus tell the woman at the well? Uh, John 4.23, an hour is coming and is now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. This is why God loves the gates. Verse 3 continues, glorious things are said of you, O city of God. You know, praise is given to this, this place where God dwells with his people. You know, the psalm will go on and tell us some of these glorious things, but let's look at a couple while we're here. Let's look at this phrase, city of God. In, in Hebrew, the, uh, the definite article is used with God. Ha-Elohim, the God, is literally what that means. This is the city of the God, not a God. You know, the different, uh, the different cities and territories and nations in, in the Middle East all had their territorial gods which were false gods. This, though, this isn't the city of just any god. It's the city of the God, the creator God, the creator of all that is, the one and true God, the one and true God that that has a desire for, for people to come to himself, all people, as we see in the next few verses. 
like I said, this is, this is a mission psalm. It's a beautiful mission psalm. We need to realize the impact of God's love for Zion, you know, besides being the city that, that housed the temple of God. This was the place where uh, Jesus walked. He, he suffered there. He was crucified on a, a hill called Golgotha, which was right outside of this city. He, he rose from the grave nearby. You know, Zion stands high above all other geographical places on earth in the redemptive history of mankind. It's a very significant place. And this section ends with Silah. There's a pause. And so picking back up in the next section in verse 4, the, uh, the voice changes, the narrator changes. Now God is speaking. God is speaking. He, he responds to the, uh, the narrator's praise. It's in this section that we have the key to understanding this psalm. God here declares this glorious place to be the birthplace of the redeemed people of all nations. He declares the worldwide mission of, of Zion, you know, a, a place where people from all nations would come to meet with him, to worship. Is this, this is in line with, with Solomon's prayer. When, when King Solomon, David's son, built the temple, he prayed to God in 1 Kings 8, 41 to 43. Solomon's talking to God here, also concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel when he comes from a far country for your name's sake. For they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this house here in heaven, your dwelling place and do according to all or do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the people of the earth may know your name to fear you as do your people Israel, that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. Now in the, in the psalm, God continues here. He says, I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born here. Now, what do we do with this verse? Uh, he's mentioning a bunch of names. They, they appear to be names of places, right? One of them looks kind of out of place at first glance. Rahab. You know, Ray, this is not um, Rahab from the book of Joshua. She was a prostitute who, uh, in Jericho who helped save the spies who were uh, spying out Jericho. She helped them to escape. It's not talking about this Rahab. Rahab is an epithet. It's, it's a pejorative nickname for Egypt. In the ancient Near East, uh, Rahab was a, a mythical dragon, uh, a, a dragon-like uh, chaos monster. The destructive nature or the destructive character from the myths of the ancient Middle East gives an indication of Egypt, the, the nature of the people represented by this name. Remember, Egypt enslaved God's people, the, the Hebrews. The Hebrews didn't think too highly of, of Egypt, but God is saying, and I think seems to me kind of tongue in cheek. 
you know, this, this, this chaos monster Egypt who enslaved you, I'm mentioning them among the ones who will be my own. The next one was Babylon. You know, we think of Babylon, we, we think idolatry. Babylon is, is, is the nation who uh, exiled God's people, to, took them out of their land and took them to another place and forced them to, uh, to worship these, these false gods, or they tried to. Uh, you know, when you, when you think of Babylon, when, they, when the Hebrews, the Jews would think of Babylon, they would think idolatry. These are very evil Sinful people. He continues Philistia and Tyre. You know these were these were lesser power centers near Israel. Uh, Cush. This represents uh, Africa. You know, far away, foreign, distant people. The uh, you know the Nubian kingdom among the or along the Nile River, south of Egypt. So, you see what's what's happening here. He's saying all people, all people, near and far, friends and foes. I'm listing all of these people. All of the nations, the author and the original leaders, uh, readers would have, would have known about. And what God is saying here is people from all over, from the ends of the earth will come. It's kind of like the Great Commission, Right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what God is saying. This is kind of a, maybe, maybe this is something Jesus was alluding to when he, when he gave that great commission. He says, I will record these among the people who follow me. You know, so the, the metaphor is, is like a governor of a city, you know, with, with a, a roster of the people in that city. He says, I'm listing these people. When God makes a register of all the peoples, he says, he lists Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Cush, among his people. His people are those who acknowledge him. And he continues, and I will say, this one was born in Zion. Quite amazing. You know, even even the enemies of the people and the enemy of God, he's saying, I list these among my people. God is considering these guys to be equal to the Hebrews, equal to the people of Israel, you know, those who, who acknowledge him. And so if there's ever any question about how God would consider those outside of, of Israel who would acknowledge him as Yahweh God, uh, this, this should clear it up. It is and has always been his desire to bring all to salvation. Remember when he talked to, to Abraham, he said, you know, you're, from your seed, I'll bless the whole world. From the beginning to the end, you know, that, that scene in the book of Revelation where you know, all tribes, all tongues are, are gathered around the throne of God, praising him. This is an early indication of of that. Of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. 
this one or that one? What, what does that indicate? Anyone, anyone who wants to come to God is welcome. The gates are open. The door is open. Come in. This one and that one were born in Zion. You know, the, the, this person was born in Egypt, but he was born in Zion. Uh, this one was born in Africa, but he was born in Zion. And, uh, you know, Jesus kind of seems to be alluding to this psalm when he talks to Nicodemus in John 3. He says uh, to Nicodemus, you, know, you must be born again, born from above. And Nicodemus says, uh, you know, how can that be? How can I re- reenter my mother's womb and, and be born again? You know, this, this psalm is looking forward to to Christ, a metaphor for those who are being born again in Christ, who come to their faith in Christ. You know, we're, we're physically born, but we're born of the Spirit, reborn, born of God. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. There's a couple other places we can look. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, Exodus 32. Um, let me, let me read Malachi three sixteen through 18. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. These people in this book of them, he says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Well, here's the obvious implication from this. All those who acknowledge the one true God, the one who establishes his foundation on the holy mountain, Zion, will be on equal footing to those, to all of those, all others who who acknowledge him as well. Well, the last section just has a single verse. here, Here we see what, is the appropriate response to all of this. You know, there's the response of the people who've, who've come to God and have found their, their source of life and joy in him. You know, life comes from God. Joy finds its source in God. Verse seven, it says, they will make music and they will sing. You know, this is, this is praise to God. They'll, they'll sing, all my springs of joy are in you depending on what translation, all, all my fountains are in you, all my springs are in you. A couple months ago, I remember I, I woke up in the morning with this phrase on my mind. I woke up saying this in, in my mind, all my springs are in you. Um, all my springs are in you. And I forgot where I had had heard that or read it, but it just meant so much to me, just such a sweet thing to wake up in, in communion with, with the Lord. You know, singing is something of, that we do out of, out of joy and, and rejoicing and, and celebration. You know, a fountain or a spring is a, is a metaphor for water, right? Uh, water is known to be the source of, of life itself. You know, they, they sing to God, my life is in you, my source is in you, born in Zion, given life from God who 
has set the foundations. I'd like to read from Revelation 22 when, when John relays this, this vision of, of a, the river of life that, that flows from the throne of God. You know, he, he gives us a glimpse of this, this eternal city of God. You see how this, this psalm is looking forward to the, our new birth in Christ. It's looking forward to this, this heavenly city of God. Beautiful psalm. Let me read this. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the, the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light nor lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Our life comes from God. Our springs, our fountains of joy come, come from God. He created us. Through natural birth, he, he gives us spiritual life, eternal life, and second birth. Uh, John Newton wrote a, wrote a hymn about this. And I, I, had, I had talked to Lori about maybe singing this. We, we said not to, but uh, remember who he is? He wrote Amazing Grace. That's probably the hymn he's most famous for. But he, he wrote this, this hymn based on this psalm. It's called Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. Let me read a couple verses. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose with salvation's walls surrounded that that thou mayest smile at thy foes? Verse two, see the streams of living waters springing from eternal love well supply the sons of daughters and all fear of want remove. Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst to assuage? Grace, which like the Lord, the giver, never fails from age to age. So God has made himself known to all mankind. You know, his, his presence, his salvation is available to all who seek him all who call upon him. Jesus said, again, you know, the Father's looking for people who will come and worship him. He also said, you must be born again. You know, this this second birth, the birth from the Spirit. Even those who were once his enemies, and who is that? All of us can gain eternal life. He loved us. And he, and he said of each of us, this one, this, this rebellious one, he was born here. He said, you know, this, this one who was, who was enslaved by, by addiction, he was, he was born here. You know, this one who, who was very religious and, and thought he knew me but didn't really, he came to me and he was born here. 
You know, God loves the gates of Zion more than than any other place. You know, he he loves the door that's wide open to to all who will come and seek him and and worship him and find him. Let's pray. Um, Our our Father, our our Father from heaven, uh, hallowed be your name. Um, All our springs are in you, Lord. Our, our, our fountains of joy are, are in you. you know, to you we owe our existence. We owe our birth. To you we owe our, our second birth. You know, no, matter, no matter what our circumstances, no matter where we come from, Lord, no matter what sins we've committed, you have given us that wide open door, that door of, of forgiveness and the offer of eternal life. Lord, I pray that if there be somebody here today who's, who's not come in that door, who's not received you, Lord Jesus, as, as your Savior, as their Savior, Lord, that uh, they would seek you and, and find you and come to you. Lord, that they would receive your forgiveness and your salvation. Lord, we... Uh, We pray in the name of Jesus for his sake and for his glory. Amen.